Hi, I'm Walter Lane, and you've tuned in to a sermon podcast from the Netherwood Park Church of Christ in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thanks for listening. And I just want to thank all of you ladies who were involved in that in various ways. Poured your time and your energy and your efforts and your hearts and your souls into that event. And I know that people were blessed by that. So thank you for doing that. I also want to thank Addison for preaching last Sunday while I got to stay up at family camp. Uh, Family camp was a great success. We had, again, this is a preacher's count, just under 400, no, really. We had about 270 people out up at camp. Um, at our peak, and it was a wonderful weekend up there as well. So lots of good things, a lot of exciting things happening here at Netherwood Park. Well, this morning we're going to continue with our uncomfortable sermon series. As most of you know, our theme for the year here at Netherwood Park is out of the boat, living uncomfortably. And this sermon series is focusing on that theme And as a starting point, as we're going through this series, we've been asking ourselves a couple of questions. One of the questions we've been asking ourselves is, we're wanting to know, has our Christianity become too comfortable? Is it too easy? Is it too cheap? And we've been asking ourselves if our comforts, if our quest for comforts, if that's holding us back from following Jesus Christ... Are our comforts winning the tug of war? Are they anchoring us to the boat while Jesus is out at work on the water? So if you were here a couple of weeks ago in my last sermon, we talked about being too comfortable. And in that sermon, I gave you seven warning signs that would indicate that your Christianity has become too comfortable. And over the next several weeks, we'll be examining each of those seven signs in greater detail. What we'll be doing is each week we'll be looking at a different tug of war. We'll look at where our comforts are pulling us, and we'll contrast that to where Jesus is calling us. But before we look at our first tug of war, let's quickly review those seven warning signs that our Christianity has become too comfortable The first warning sign is about politics. And I said that if there is no friction at all between your Christianity and your partisan politics, regardless of what your politics are, then your Christianity has become too comfortable. The next warning sign was about mystery. And I said if you don't have any paradoxes, any tensions, any unresolved questions concerning your faith, 
if your God and what your God has done for you doesn't occasionally just blow your mind, then your Christianity has become too comfortable. A third warning sign was about compassion. And I said that if the plight of the poor, the plight of the suffering, the plight of the displaced among us, if that doesn't concern you, if that doesn't move you to action, then I would say your Christianity has become too comfortable. The next warning sign has to do with sacrifice. And I said, if the amount of money and if the amount of time that you give to your church, if that doesn't require you to sacrifice any of your own desires, then it would seem that your Christianity has become too comfortable. The fifth warning sign has to do with our worship times together. And I said that if nothing that you do on Sunday impacts the rest of your week, if you're the same person on Monday morning that you were on Saturday night, then your Christianity has become too comfortable. The sixth warning sign concerns time. And I said if you are convinced that you don't have enough time for even the simplest of spiritual activities throughout your week, then it would appear that your Christianity has become too comfortable. And the final warning sign has to do with being different. And I said, if your coworkers, if your friends, if your fellow students, if they don't see any differences in you, if they would be surprised to find out that you are a church-going Christian, then I would say your Christianity has become too comfortable. And that's the particular tug of war we're going to talk about this morning, being different. It's a tug of war between the comfort of fitting in with the crowd, the comfort of receiving social approval, searching out social approval from others. It's the, the throng, the masses that are pulling us from one side, while God's call for us to be distinct from the crowd God's call for us to be concerned only with his approval is pulling us on the other side. So what do I hope to accomplish this morning? Well, I do have a goal this morning, and my goal this morning is for each and every one of us to leave here today more disagreeable than where we were when we arrived. I know some of you are kind of chuckling about it, and some of you are immediately wondering if that's even possible to be more disagreeable, right? I imagine there's a few of you that are thinking to yourself, if he's any grumpier on the way here than he was at, when he leaves here than he was on the car this morning, then I think I'll just walk home, right? He couldn't be any more disagreeable. And that may be true, uh, but that isn't what I'm talking about today. I won't be talking about disagreeable in the common understanding of that word my goal isn't for us to leave here more unpleasant, grumpier, grouchier, more ornery, crabby, crotchety, cantankerous, whatever words you want to use. My goal isn't for us to leave here more that than we were when we came in. Rather, my goal is for us to leave here more disagreeable in the sense that we'll be less likely to rely on the approval of others less likely to rely on the approval of others when it comes to how we behave, when it comes to how we act, when it comes to making our decisions. 
my goal is that we will leave here more likely to follow Jesus Christ out on the water, even when we are faced with social disapproval for doing so. My goal is that we will leave here more comfortable with the discomfort of being different. Different from those around us, those who are trying to pull us back into the crowd. Well, why should we be concerned with that tug of war? Why should we be concerned about being different? Why not just blend in? Why not be content to have our Christianity camouflaged? Well, the reason is, is because God calls his people to be distinct. He calls his people to stand out instead of blend in. He calls his people to look like him instead of merging into the crowd, into the herd. Let's quickly look at four different passages that give us just a flavor of God's call for us to be different, to be unique. The first passage is from Leviticus chapter 18. This comes from an in-between time with Israel. They've spent years in Egypt. And Moses is leading them to Canaan, the promised land. But they're in between those two times. And God has many concerns. But one of the concerns that God has is about the tug of war that his people are facing. And the tug of war they're going to face. So listen to God's concern for his people Leviticus 18, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and my laws. For the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Do you hear God's concern? Don't give in to the pull to do like the Egyptians among whom you used to live. And don't give in to the pull to do like the Canaanites among whom you are about to live. You must not do as they do. Don't follow their practices. Be different. Follow my practices. Well, Paul picks up that theme in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Then he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Paul's saying, don't be pulled into just being another piece, another puzzle piece that fits into the world's pattern. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed into fitting in with God's will. Peter picks up the theme. He contrasts who we are called to be with who we used to be. 
First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul and live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter says we are aliens and strangers in this world. He says, by God's mercy, we've been called out of the world. We've been pulled out of the world into God's light. And not only have we been called into the light, we've been called to be the light. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. He says, you are the light of the world. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And Jesus says, don't blend in. He says, don't cover up, don't camouflage. You are the light of the world, so let your light shine. And this isn't at all controversial. I mean, I think we all understand that Jesus' followers are called to be unique. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be different. So if we all understand that different is what we're called to be, why is God concerned about this tug of war with the sameness of the world? Why are Peter and Paul concerned? Why is Jesus concerned about that tug of war? Well, they're concerned because they know us. Because they know human nature. See, the problem with our call to be different is that we don't like to be different. We prefer to blend in. We prefer to be a part of the comfortable crowd. And the reality is that most of us aren't nearly as unique as we like to think we are. Now, we may not be conformed to the entire world, But if we're really honest with ourselves, we recognize that we fit in more than strangers and aliens should. And the reason that we fit in more than we should is because most of us are influenced by others more than we recognize. Or at least more than we care to admit. And that means that our lives agree with the pattern of this world more than our lives should It means that we're too agreeable. And that brings us back to that concept of agreeableness. If you'll remember, I said that my goal is for each of us to leave here more disagreeable than we arrive. So let's explore that a little more. 
So agreeableness, as we're using the term, is the impact of social approval on your decisions and actions. Let me repeat that. Agreeableness is the impact of social approval on your decisions and actions. In other words, if I'm very agreeable, my decisions and actions are very driven by what others think about those decisions and actions. Because I seek their approval. At the other extreme, if I am very disagreeable, my decisions and actions are not driven at all by what others think. My decisions and actions are independent of whether or not others approve. So if we were going to create a 10-point scale of agreeableness, with zero being the most disagreeable, and 10 being the most agreeable, the scale might be anchored by these two. Doug, if you'd bring that up. One more. There we go. Everybody recognize that guy? Go ahead and bring up the next one. And I know the bow tie is really nice on the puppy. I had to include that one. So we have Spock on one side and a uh, little puppy on the other side, a golden retriever. So on our scale, our 0 to 10 scale, 0 would be Mr. Spock. He's the Vulcan. He's completely driven by logic. He's not, in, he's not influenced at all by the approval of others. He is very disagreeable. Well, the other extreme on the 10-point scale would be a 10 is a golden retriever puppy. If you've ever been around a golden retriever puppy, you know that they are completely driven by approval. All they want to do is please. They seek to please. They are very agreeable from zero to 10. So keep that concept in mind, that scale in mind. Spock at one end of the spectrum and a golden retriever puppy at the other. Okay, now bear with me. One more concept. This is the idea of threshold. So your threshold is a decision point. It's a behavior decision point. Specifically, your threshold is that point where the perceived benefits of something or doing something exceeds the perceived costs of that thing or doing that thing. So we deal with thresholds all the time. Here's a very simple example. When the alarm goes off in the morning, that's a behavior decision point. You have to make a decision. Will you hit snooze or will you get up and exercise? Most of you are saying snooze. Do the perceived benefits of exercise at that point exceed the perceived costs of getting more sleep? If so, if you believe that exercising has more benefit than the sleep does, you're going to get up and exercise. Your threshold was met. But if your threshold wasn't met, then you roll over and go back to sleep. If the expense is more valuable, I mean, if the exercise is more valuable, then you won't sleep. If sleep is more valuable, that's what you'll choose. It's simple as that, a decision point, a threshold. But life's not that simple. Most decision points aren't that simple. They aren't that cut and dry. They don't exist in a vacuum. There are multiple factors that influence our thresholds and influence our behavioral decisions. 
So when I was about 10 years old, my younger friend Danny had somehow come into possession of a pack of cigarettes. And Danny was convinced that we were going to smoke those cigarettes together. And I was determined that we were not. I had no intention of smoking a cigarette ever. Because I was convinced that the cost of smoking was just too high. See, my grandfather had throat cancer. It was a direct result of smoking. And I had literally promised him that I would never smoke. Add to that my parents' very strong disapproval of smoking. I didn't like the smell. There were many reasons why I was determined not to smoke. And sure, I would have liked for Danny to think that I was really cool for smoking with him. But, you know, he was just one younger friend. And it was easy for me to tell him, no, I was Mr. Spock. Simple as that. I found it easy to be disagreeable. The perceived benefit of Danny's social approval didn't outweigh the cost of my grandfather and my parents' disapproval. Simple as that. Mr. Spock. However, the next day when I saw Danny, he wasn't alone. See, Brandon was with him and Rick was with him. And Brandon was my age, and Rick was about a year older, and in my mind, he was quite worldly and quite cool, as only 11-year-olds can be. So when first Danny, and then Brandon, and then Rick lit up their cigarettes and offered me a cigarette, suddenly Mr. Spock was a golden retriever. The social approval of the three of them, and especially the social approval of Rick, outweighed all of the cost of not lighting up. See, our our thresholds, our agreeableness, those things don't exist in a vacuum. They can be easily moved by other factors. Factors like the physical presence of someone or the absence of someone. See, if my grandfather or my parents had been physically present at that time, I wouldn't have taken the cigarette. There's no way I would have taken the cigarette, but they weren't there. Instead, Danny and Rick and Brandon were there. Well, something else that matters is esteem. Esteem matters. See, it was easy to tell Danny no because he was younger than me and I was pretty sure that I was cooler than him. But Rick was a different story. He was older, and I was convinced he was cooler than me, and so I wanted his approval. So esteem matters, and numbers matter. See, it was easy for me to tell one friend no. It was one against one. But it was different when it became three against one. Because when it became three against one, I just wagged my tail and lit up. And I knew it was wrong. I knew it was something I didn't want to do, but I conformed. I was agreeable. My line moved. And that kind of behavior, that kind of agreeableness, losing that kind of tug of war, that's exactly what God is concerned about. That's what Jesus is concerned about. That's what Paul and Peter are concerned about. 
Because they know us. They understand human behavior. And speaking of Paul and Peter, and just to show you that our desire for social approval isn't restricted to 10-year-olds and restricted to cigarettes, let's look at another example of the line being moved. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. This is Paul writing. And Paul writes these remarkable words. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. This is a big deal. This is the Apostle Paul saying, I confronted the Apostle Peter to his face because he was wrong. Well, how is Peter wrong? Well, Peter's wrong because his line moved. Listen as Paul continues on. He says, before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. Mr. Spock. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And the other Jews joined into his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray. Do you hear what happened? Peter was Spock. God had showed him in a very powerful way that the Gentile Christians were his brothers. And he acted on that. He accepted them as his brothers. He ate meals with them. He did what was right. Simple as that. He didn't care what his fellow Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem thought about his actions. That is, he didn't care until they showed up. And when they showed up, it moved Peter's line. The cost of their disapproval was just too great. So he pulled away from his Gentile brothers and sisters. It turns out that Peter was more of a golden retriever than you would have thought. Turns out that Peter was too agreeable. And so Paul confronted him with the truth. And the truth was Peter needed to learn to be more disagreeable. And so do we. So I want to end with just four steps. Four steps that we can take to become more disagreeable. To be more transformed and less conformed. Here's step number one. Step number one is I encourage you to embrace the loving presence of God. To embrace the reality that God is with us. We are in him and he is in us. God isn't like my absent grandfather. No, God is with us at every decision point. God is with us at all times. We aren't seeking approval from a distant God. We are seeking approval from a present God. He is our present God. And if we will embrace his presence, then that will move our line, but it will move our line in the right direction. Our God is with us. Well, step number two to being more disagreeable is to ascribe to the Lord his rightful honor and his rightful esteem. How do we counteract our desire to please the cool kid? How do we counteract our desire to please the cool kids from Jerusalem? 
We counteract that by constantly reminding ourselves of who our God is. See, would you rather have the approval of the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-faithful God of the universe? Or would you rather have the approval of men? And I'll have more to say about this step during our challenge. Step three to becoming more disagreeable. And that's to make your threshold number one. And do that by living for an audience of the one. See, if we'll embrace the loving presence of God, he is with us. And if we will give him the honor and the esteem that he deserves, then no one else's approval matters. If we live our lives to please God and only God, then our line won't move. We won't be moved by the presence of others. We won't be moved by the importance of others. We won't be moved by how many others there might be because no one and nothing compares to our God. Make God our audience of one. And the fourth and final step, that I want to encourage you to take to become more disagreeable is to be with your disagreeable brothers and sisters whenever and wherever you can. In worship, in fellowship. Because when we embrace the presence of God together, when we ascribe to the Lord his rightful honor and esteem together, when we affirm that we live alone for him together, that's when we won't be moved. We'll be strong for the Lord and we'll do that together. Let's pray. Father, we feel that tug of war in very tangible ways, Father. The approval of others is a siren call, calling us to do things that we know are not right, to behave in ways, Father, that we know are not correct, to do things, Father, we know would not please you or not a part of your will. So, Father, help us together to be aware of your presence, to give you all honor and glory and esteem that's due your name. And Father, help us to always take every opportunity that we can be to be together. Father, we just pray that you and you alone are our audience. That our desire will always be to please you and you alone. And Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So uncomfortable challenge number 33. This is an embracing challenge. What I want you to do is every day this week, in the morning and in the evening, beginning your day and ending your day, I'm going to encourage you to read aloud a psalm. Psalms that do a very good job of helping us embrace the loving presence of God and help us to ascribe to the Lord his rightful honor and esteem. So on your outlines, you'll find the psalms that I'm suggesting for each day. We'll follow those up with emails throughout the week. 
I encourage you to begin your day and end your day with a song. Helps you embrace the loving presence of God and helps you give him his rightful honor and esteem, which will help you be more disagreeable. Let's be disagreeable together. But now let's stand and let's sing together and let's ascribe to the Lord majesty. Let's sing.